Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. I'm Mary from Essex Junction, Vermont. Join me at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. You'll get all sorts of extra content, just like I do, every month. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, he was a troubled teen who fell into the wrong crowd before being gunned down in an East London park. Are his killers taunting his family in rap videos? We'll review Who Killed C.J. Davis. Then the story of a womanizing real estate developer whose unconventional political movement propelled him to the highest elected office in Italy. We'll talk about Wondery's Silvio Berlusconi podcast, Bunga Bunga. Joining me to get that done is former TV journalist, my co-podcaster, and the love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. You're also a true crime author. We should probably say that, right? Yeah, that's that's the crime writers How part of Crime Writers On. Books have your name on them? Seven, I think. Yeah. I don't know. Not Six, not seven. to mention the other books written by that other Kevin Flynn who isn't you. That's right. <laughs> but they don't send me that check. Did you do this? Did you read this? No, I saw it. But I why don't you read it I'm out not loud? Gonna, I'm not read gonna, it I out saw loud. It, but I didn't want to read it. I read it out loud for the audience. Trick. Read it out loud for the audience. Joining me to get that done and more is my real life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist, and the one who thinks I don't read these scripts. Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Thank you, Rebecca. I mean, I feel like I shouldn't need a script to introduce you. A, I live with you. B, we've been doing this for six years. Why did you write it down? (laughs) It's like the green M&M thing. He just wants you to know that you're paying attention. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of the intros now. Go ahead. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, certified cat lady, and the one most likely to get enraged by injustice, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our favorite naysayer, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Toby, how do you feel about being characterized as our favorite naysayer or favorite cynic or favorite Doubting Thomas every week? Does it wear on you? Well, it's better than being like your second favorite. Laura, <laughs> 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 so a, I can live with it. I have a question for you before we get started. Yes, I know that your recording studio, where you connect with us, is perhaps not insulated. And a couple weeks yeah. ago on the podcast, we were all complaining how it was so so hot. But we live in New England, and things have turned. How are you faring over there in the icebox known as the Lara Bricker Podcast Studio? Well, the space heater has come out again, and <laughs> pretty soon the weighted blanket might be coming down. So, <laughs> yeah, very soothing. I, yeah, fall has come a little bit early to New Hampshire, and I'm hoping it's just a joke. Yeah. But it is 2020, so we might just be stuck with it at this point. You know, <laughs> I, I think so too. I think so too. Uh, we had the uh, diplomatic discussion at home, and everyone who knows a New Englander knows. Is that it's always a debate when to turn the heat on. It's not really a debate yeah, in our morning house. the morning and turn it <laughs> off in the afternoon. It's not really a debate in our house. I'm like, today's the day. There will be no arguing. And so we've reached that point. 
Happy winter, everyone. Here we are. (laughs) All right, let's start the show, shall we? Yes. He's like any other little boy in this country. He's wide-eyed, cheeky, innocent. He likes football and games consoles. It's a million miles from the world he's about to get sucked into. 14-year-old C.J. Davis was an avid dancer who struggled in school, fell into the wrong crowd, and started selling heroin. Three years ago, he was killed by a shotgun blast from a passing car in his East London neighborhood. As a crime reporter, I deal with a lot of murders. In all the years that I've covered murders of young boys involving street violence and gangs, This one stood out. Times of London reporter John Simpson digs into the death of a kid on the periphery of the British drug trade whose murder seems readily solvable. I think it was 20 minutes I was bent halfway because I didn't want to let him go. I told him. I told him that. I told him that I'm not going to let him go. I told him that his mom's coming soon. The five-part podcast, Who Killed C.J. Davis, explores the world of London's loosely structured gangs in a country where gun violence is rare. Did his mother's attempts to get him out of the drug trade endanger him? Was the shooting revenge for an attack on a rival gang leader? And has the prime suspect been taunting C.J.'s grieving family in homemade rap videos? Now, a couple of notes. First, this podcast does appear in two separate show feeds. You can find the limited series in the newspaper podcast reporter and stories of our times and also we are going to be talking about plot points from who killed cj davis so if you want to remain totally spoiler free we're not going to spoil the whole thing but if you want to remain totally spoiler free and just get our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews go to the time code listed in our show notes So the murder itself, CJ was on the street with some acquaintances, with friends, a car stops, and then he is shot in the head with a shotgun blast. It's caught on some cameras from odd angles, and there are a couple of witnesses who give kind of an unclear portrait of exactly what happened. And that's what this podcast is trying to do. It's trying to solve the case, figure out what happened and some of the forces behind it. Now, Kevin, this is very different from podcasts that we've listened to that are produced in the U.S., right? Because this is a very victim-centric podcast about a crime, but it also really digs into underpinnings of kind of the criminal stage that John, our host, and, and the writers of the podcast kind of seem to think that we don't know a lot of. About, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it was very enlightening to me on the crime angle about what the British drug trade actually is and the gang culture and what gangs are. Because we have this image, certainly, from watching movies and TV shows about who a gang kid is in the U.S., mm. right? And why kids join gangs and why they deal drugs. And it seems like it's very different in Great Britain. It's not the same as like we'd see in a movie. We think that a kid you know, from a disadvantaged neighborhood gets caught up in a gang because the gang will give him protection. And then he'll sell drugs because it's the only economic option that he has. And it's different because the gangs in London apparently are very loose and not highly structured except sort of at the top. They're not like kids like really in the gangs. They sort of work around the gangs. And then as far as like the money made slinging drugs, we hear from the cops that these low-level dealers don't get any of the money. Believe me, when I go around their houses and I see them, They haven't got loads of money. They haven't got the top trainers. They haven't got the top gear. They haven't got the top phone or anything like that. 
they have been completely exploited. Right. It's almost like a human trafficking situation. It's Yeah, it's more of that. It, it kind of leaves me with the question, like, well, what's in it for these teens? I mean, if you're not getting sort of that protection on the streets kind of thing, and if you're not really making a lot of money, why are you hanging out with this criminal element? I'm. That's really sort of one lingering question that I had. And otherwise, what was a very strong podcast. All right. So, Laura, you have some questions about sort of the delivery of this podcast. You sent me some notes. Can you just talk a little bit about the style of the podcast and the journalistic approach that it took? Yeah, I think what I liked about this, it, but it takes me a while to adjust because we've been listening to these like highly stylized, wondery style podcasts with all the music and all the extra. This is a really straightforward journalistic investigation. And we've got John Simpson, the host, who's clearly a very well-sourced crime writer and his producer, Poppy. And he's out doing, you know, basically telling the story like you would tell it as a journalist and starting with the story of CJ's death, getting all of the right people to talk to like you would do if you were telling sort of a straightforward news story, but then expanding that in such a way that now we're going to see what the bigger picture is from this initial kernel of the story that begins when CJ's killed and the death goes unsolved. So, you know, we have a lot of back and forth with him and the producer Poppy, which I thought was a good way to sort of go over the information. Two shotgun shells are fired, we think in quick succession, could indicate one double-barreled weapon. Could that mean there were two shooters? It could. We don't have any other witness accounts. And plus, like, I loved her name so much. <laughs> like, I would like, I want to have a friend named Poppy, just so I can say it every day. Yeah, for our listeners in the UK, like, that's not a <laughs> very common name here in the States. It's definitely like a very British name. No, in fact, I think we met uh, an expat in London who she ended up naming her her daughter Poppy, because it sounded British. <laughs> she was like, I yeah. just want to fit in. <laughs> you be your big Poppy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I thought that was a good way to get the information out through those conversations back and forth with Poppy. I actually agree with you. Those are called debriefs, studio debriefs. And you hear it very often in reported podcasts. I mean, if you think about Serial, you hear Sarah and Dana, her reporter, talking in the studio or in the car together about what just happened. And that's a way to get the listener informed about what's going on. But it's hard to do well all the time. Sometimes it sounds bad, frankly. Sometimes it sounds very much like... They're filling in a... An empty space. Yes. They so, couldn't fill otherwise. Kevin, tell yeah. me a little bit about how you made dinner tonight. Well, Rebecca, like very often it can be that. And I like it, when we introduced Toby. Yes, I do think it was well done in this podcast. Now, Toby, this is a very victim centric story in many ways, which you know, is also sometimes that's difficult to pull off while also being sort of journalistically balanced and objective. I thought it was handled really well, the way they profiled CJ and talked about his life and really included his mother in the podcast. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I think it's tough, again, and, I, and we've talked about this before, but I, I think the instinct is to just paint this sort of relentlessly positive picture of the victim, and you never want to say anything bad, and, and it becomes sort of bland, and it's hard to get a sense of the victim. But this, it's tragic, and it's interesting. He's essentially a fairly straight and narrow kid for most of the time. But there's just a few little cracks that are working against him, right? He's got ADHD, and that gets him in trouble at school. Mm. So so that sort of starts a spiral. I mean, it's, it's the way it sounds like. You know, and he's also, his, his father's absent and not very involved. 
But his mother, she seems like she copes with these things about as well as you can. Mm. She has brothers, so CJ's uncles, who seem to be taking on that role with him. But, you know, I guess it just gets away. Hmm. So he's he's sympathetic. He also seems very real. And because you know what happened to him, but there just seems like this awful inevitability to these little curves that his life takes that you know is eventually going to end up in, you know, seriously hot water. Kevin? Yeah, and Toby mentioned it maybe two or three podcasts ago about this idea that when they talk about the victim, that it's always, uh, she lit up a room and everybody loved her and that it really doesn't say much of anything. Mm. And in this case, while CJ wasn't a violent kid, he wasn't like ripping the heads off of dolls or anything. Mom was pretty honest about where his issues were. You know, whether it's in school or whatnot, but also about all the good things about it. it was, I thought, probably the most sincere portrait we've had of a victim in quite some time because it made it real. It made it credible when you talk about, you know, if it was all bad stuff or it was all good stuff, it's hard to believe. But because it was more n- nuanced then I felt like I knew more about this 14-year-old kid. I did, too. So what happens in the podcast is that we hear that CJ had had, uh, of course, he was you know, diagnosed with ADHD when he was young. And I will say, as a note, production note, there is some misinformation about ADHD in the podcast, which is one of my like small criticisms of it. John, our host, says, you know, it's present in only like two or three percent of children. I know it's higher than that. And he also says that it is present four or five times more in boys than girls. That's actually not true. It's actually diagnosed at a much higher rate in boys than girls, but it's just as present in girls than boys. And that is a subject of a whole different potential podcast that maybe we'll review someday. Uh, But they talk about him having troubles in school and sort of some of his issues in school translating him to being labeled as a troubled kid, something that CJ then internalizes. And despite having a very supportive family who sort of brings him in on the straight and narrow, he is lured by these outside forces that really are structured in a way to pull in kids, separate them from their family and get them into this drug trade that is it's almost mechanized. It has to do with telephones and then the kids are coerced. And if they don't do it, They're in trouble with the gangs, and it's this whole county line scheme that they talk about in the podcast, which is complicated yet horrifyingly simple in some ways. Uh, County line is a telephone line. That's right. That's right. And CJ's mother then does a heroic job trying to save her son from the situation. He wants out, but the fact that she has interfered marks him in a way, and others in the gang think he's a snitch or know he's a snitch. When he's murdered at 14, it's unclear whether or not he was the target, but one of the interesting facts the podcast pulls out is that law enforcement does have a document that's a matrix of all of the young people that are involved in these gangs. Those documents were leaked to a rival gang, so it's not clear whether or not... Wasn't it like the knock list and Mission Impossible? <laughs> Here's yeah. all the gang members on one spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it reminds cross me cross-tab of... and pivot. Yeah, okay. It reminds me of when we watch an episode of like Law & Order or SVU and they arrest someone and they're like, isn't that Mickey Two Feet from blah, blah, blah? And it's like, <laughs> oh, did you look at the spreadsheet with all of the criminals in the, in the greater New York area? Um, but, well, I had a question about that whole scene where his mother, and I think Kevin had the same question, went out to track him down. And, and I, I didn't know if I heard it incorrectly, like the amount of heroin that they had. No, 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 no. You yeah, guys, no, 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 you right. did hear it incorrectly. As I go home and I look further, it was crack and heroin. 
is about 600 pounds worth of crack and heroin. Rocks. He had 600 <laughs> pounds of heroin, meaning 600 British pounds worth of heroin. Oh, I was thinking that must be a giant oh. bag of heroin. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get like six guys. I was like, how could he carry it? I saw your note there and I was like, Kevin, we were just in London. Like, you know what no, At the first I think 600 pounds. Like, wow. How many, how many kilos is that? It's a metric system. <laughs> it's a big backpack. It's a hell of a backpack. <laughs> so, Lara, CJ's mom is a central character in the podcast. She's a big source for John. And we also do hear, you know, how she parented CJ through his issues in school and then through his sort of touch points with this gang and some of the other criminal activity he was involved in. What do you think of her as a central character in the story and her, the way she kind of presents her parenting through all of this? Well, I think she was, she was a heartbreaking character, but she was a very effective character to have narrating. And, you know, I know from writing crime stories and writing true crime, as, as you guys do, that quite often family members of victims do not want to cooperate when you're mm. doing a story. And so when you have somebody that does cooperate to this extent, it really gives a much better depth to the story and to the people that were involved in this case, the life of CJ. But I mean, she was a force, you know, she really worked hard to get him on the straight and narrow to get him out of this gang lifestyle. She talked about the uncles. You know, she understood the ADHD and what was going on. But I think she mentioned at one point, you know, that the uncles that that were kind of mentoring him and fathering him, they didn't really understand that. You know, that wasn't something they were familiar with. So that was sort of a a point where she had to keep advocating for him. And so I think she was just a tremendous advocate for CJ through his life. And, And now after his death, you know, raising awareness of what happened and pushing this issue, trying to find some resolution. You know, also, Laura, that we get to, we'll call it the the family member portion of the story, right in the first episode. And you usually get that like in the second episode. They start off talking a lot mm-hmm. about the crime, and we get that, you know, uh, the setup in the first 15 minutes or so. But they pivot right into telling us who CJ is right up mm-hmm. front. And I think yeah. that that's slightly different. And I think you get more buy into the story emotionally by not holding that back. But it's not corny. No, it's not I corny mean, we at have, all. No. We, we have heard that before in some of these crime stories that we reviewed. It's almost like people writing podcasts or documentaries, they front and load it with victim-centric material that is almost designed to respond to criticism about not making it about the victim. Yeah. And that didn't feel like this to me. I mean, I thought it had an authentic, insightful, actually kind of important to set up the story feel. It's also very important to understand that CJ was a child. He was not a young adult. He was a child. And the podcast, in some parts makes a very good case for the fact that his likely murderers who were, you know, 18, 19, 20 in the early 20s were also in a lot of ways children. And that's a lot of what this is about. Yeah, one of the detectives says that. These children don't know how to operate a washing machine. They don't know how to cook for themselves. They might be full of bravado on the street, but they are children. 
And the challenge for us all the time is to remember their children. Now, Toby, one of the interesting aspects of the story to me is the two Londons. This is something that gets talked about a lot, you know, having just visited London and certainly only visiting one of those two Londons. We hear from a couple of sources in the podcast, which John, interestingly, has some gang sources and he gets actors to actually just basically repeat his phone calls with them or whatever. But one of those sources tells him, you know, there are two cities here. There are two Londons. You live in one. We live in the other. I'm looking out my window and I can see where the Olympic Park was. And Usain Bolt, you know, had a world record right over there. But we have this whole other world that you don't see. I found that very interesting in the way that it was framed. Very interesting. What did you think of the portrayal of the city and and the cult, the two cultures within the city in this podcast? Right. Well, it's something we've talked about, you know, in a lot of podcasts have, have sort of addressed in the U.S., so that frame is familiar, but the like the details are quite a bit different. Hmm. When they were talking about like the amount of gun violence in, I believe, England as a whole. Yep. And it was like, I think, 33 gun murders in a year. Right. And that seems like a, a bad month in Chicago. So I it just it seems like I there's there's definitely violence but I think the fact that there are just so many fewer guns mm. that it's not it's not quite the carnage that we kind of associate with gangs rightly or wrongly but you know it's not the drive-bys and the shootouts where there's bystander casualties and things like that and the things that they do talk about they just seem like from a slightly different world hmm. like they even talk about they they kidnap a guy and they beat him up and then they pour some kind of corrosive on him yeah like acid or whatever it's just the the details are are quite different uh, i thought the the whole part about the drill rappers yes was super interesting in that part of the way you sort of gain credibility is that you put out these raps about stuff that you've done and then they have like fact checkers mm. that go through and they say, you know, some of it's gangs and then some of it's just like kids who've got time on their hands who hear the thing and they're like, oh, I wonder if, you know, they hear the song and then they go and they see, did this person really kill those people or yeah. deal all those drugs or whatever? And so these these songs, I, I think they say we, we couldn't exactly use them for evidence, mm. but we can use them to sort of establish the character of a person by the music that he makes, just knowing that if it's just idle boasting, he'll be called out for it. Right. So that if, if it's sort of left unchallenged, that there's a sense that it's probably true. It could the be a gangs confession. fight by having uh, music video battles. It's like it's like you got served like a like yeah, a, a pitch dance. perfect. <laughs> yeah, like a dance battle between gangs, like it's West Side Story, the Sharks and the Jets. Now, to be fair, they actually fight by going into each other's neighborhoods and stabbing each other. Okay, yeah. But then the but then the the call out about legit. it okay. is actually it's in legit. these rap videos. By the way, this happens in the United States too. There are also yeah. gangs who produce rap videos in the United States that also brag about crimes. It's just a little different here because the style of music is so specific and because like this is it like there are these million views and these like at home YouTubers who are like like Laura your son could end up being one of the fact checkers if you lived in England like he's a YouTuber <laughs> right like he watches <laughs> he is a ton of videos and gets in these rabbit holes what did you think about hearing these drill rap songs like sounded like confessions to stabbings and in, in one case potentially a confession to the murder of CJ Davis it definitely gave me pause because 
because I'll tell you, like, like you said, my son is always on TikTok and YouTube and not that he'll ever watch Crime Writers on so I can say this. And I'll, I'll like kind of go in and see what he listens to. And I'm like, huh, you know, fact or fiction. Now I'm thinking as I'm listening to the lyrics of some of the songs and things that he's posting up on TikTok. So it's definitely, I feel like the tech savvy, I mean, we are like, you know, we're older. I'm definitely the least tech savvy of this group here. But the kids that are raised in that generation, I mean, that's their means of communication. And Mm. it's not like they're going down into like the square and being like the town crier, which is like, my role, like how I share information, they're doing it this way. And, you know, you could spend hours and days looking for clues in these rap songs, I think. And I think it's just a rabbit hole that you could go down and and very quickly get lost. Now, Kevin, Toby was talking about one of the big differences between England and the US is the lack of guns on the streets in England, because, you know, firearms are Largely illegal there. Another thing that really stuck out in this story as compared to many American stories we've heard that are similar to it. This is very much a how did this happen style story, which is something we're used to. Like, where are all the places that a different choice could have been made or an intervention could have been done that would have changed things? And they talk about the school. Had he not been sent to this alternative school or had he had a different kind of intervention here? But we're hearing from social support people. There are a ton of social supports in place. His mother lives in safe council housing. They do have this intervention school, which is not really something that exists much here in the U.S. If you have a kid in a public school here who's disruptive, who's like they could either get kicked out, but they're not going to be sent to an alternative publicly funded program necessarily like this one. I mean, this is a place that does have, and we hear from you know nonprofit workers, we hear from national employees who are actually, this is their job, is to do social services and intervene with kids, kids who are attracted by gangs and so forth. It's a very different kind of how did this happen story when you hear a story where there is a rich, well-funded, relatively well-funded compared to the U.S. social safety net, right? Yeah, but also it seems like gang members were also utilizing that. that They were using the social safety net. They became recruitment areas for the gangs and whatnot. And like we talk about like, well, what could have been? I mean, you have to look at, well, what would have happened if CJ's mom didn't take that 600 pounds of heroin and flush it. Hmm. And now he has a drug debt. You mean and 600 w- pounds worth of heroin. Yes, exactly. <laughs> be a lot to flush if it were 600 pounds. <laughs> and what if he she didn't go out and, and yell at the kids and give away, you know, kind of confirm or not that he's the snitch. But also, it's, I mean, those were like two really interesting facts that John discovered. But it just doesn't seem like that would lead somebody to target CJ for an assassination. Right. Certainly not in his own gang. If they wanted to get rid of him or send a message or something, they wouldn't stage it to look like it's, you know, drive-by shooting. You know, they want to show it was would be deliberate. It is very intriguing that, is it the Brickton boys, this neighboring gang, that their top dog had gotten jumped and nearly killed three days earlier. And so, you know, it seems much more likely that somebody else in that group of people, and they say that there was a more senior gang member amongst those people, was the actual target. Right. And so that seems like one of the reasons why folks think that this could be solved. Right. Toby, what did you think of that? The fact that these gangs are using the social safety net to recruit kids, like they basically find kids who are are in care. Or if the kids have parents, they get those kids to say that their parents 
parents are abusive so they can be put in care so that then they are more easily used to, you know, traffic drugs in this operation. Yeah, well, it's clever. Mm. I guess. I mean, it's, it's not dumb people running these things. And, I, and I'm sure there's a lot of trial and error. I mean, they find ways that is effective and they know who's vulnerable. And then if somebody's not vulnerable, they know how to kind of create situations in which the people who might be able to help them are isolated from them. And in both ways, it allows them to have more power over the kids. Hmm. Well, it certainly is an interesting look into a gang culture that we're not familiar with into a city that has two components to it that really contributed, despite a social safety net, to the murder of this young boy. So, Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Thumbs up or thumbs down? Do you think our listeners should check out Who Killed C.J. Davis? A new podcast available in a couple of feeds. Uh, Thumbs up or thumbs down for you, Laura Bricker? Uh, I'm going to go thumbs up. You know, this wasn't, I wasn't like overly enthusiastic, but I think this was actually a really well done podcast. It was a really interesting story. The reason I'm not overly enthusiastic is at times it did get a little bit slow for me, but there was just a lot of information, things I didn't understand or know before about the culture in London with regard to crime and gangs. There was a lot of really interesting voices, and we didn't even get into the woman that witnessed him being shot and her story of sitting with him while they were waiting for help to arrive. And I think this was a really interesting case that takes you know, one child's death and puts it in a larger context that really highlighted a much bigger societal issue. So it was it was well done. Plus Poppy. I mean, so (laughs) thumbs up. What about you, Toby Ball? Thumbs up or thumbs down for who killed CJ Davis? Yeah, I give it a thumbs up. Um, The pace was a little slow for me to be completely enthusiastic about it. Mm. It's sometimes I like the slow paced ones, but it's often there's still a variety of information that you're getting, but it just isn't propelling the story forward all the time. And here I kind of felt like sometimes they were really sort of taking their time in getting you information so that you were kind of listening to people talk about sort of the same thing quite a bit. But for the most part, it's super interesting. It's obviously really well reported. I think the the point that that you and Kevin were making about how well integrated CJ's story is. It's not just checking off a box, which I think is what often happens, but this is actually a critical, if not the critical part of the story. So all those things are, are good. So I, you know, it's a it's a strong thumbs up with the caveat that it was I found it a little slow going at times. Kevin Flynn, thumbs up or thumbs down for who killed CJ Davis? I'm going thumbs up. Um I agree that the pace is a lot slower than we get in podcasts, say, in the U.S. Uh, or Canada. Well, maybe not Canada. Canada, <laughs> not Canada. Canada those those no podcasts. No offense, Canadians, but your podcasts are slow. They do <laughs> go along. But look, this is a you know from a newspaper, from newspaper journalists, and in a way, it kind of reads like a newspaper article. But it works for some reason. Well, that doesn't always happen because we have had podcasts from newspapers that have just been really bad. This was really good. It's an interesting case. Uh, Like John says, it's, you know, it's not atypical as far as what a violent crime is. But something about it kind of stands out. And so I thought it was really great and a really interesting look at the drug trade in, uh, in London. The way we didn't even talk about how people call on a telephone and that kind of insulate all all of the drug runners on the street level are insulated from it just really just really particular right Mm -hmm. and uh 
So anyway, it's a great investigation. It's put together very well. And I do know they're coming out with a bonus episode later in the month. Hopefully they'll have something about being closer to solving the case. Um, I love this podcast. I'm giving it an enthusiastic thumbs up. I actually think I liked it more than the three of you did. I thought it was beautifully. Just in a contest, Rebecca. I know, but usually when things are like you guys, when you guys describe something as being slow or whatever, I'm always like, oh my god, I so horrible for me. I actually felt the opposite. I thought that the it's tight. It's only five episodes, and I thought that each one handled a topic, a look at the case, in a way that really worked for me. It wasn't belabored. There was an episode about CJ. There was an episode sort of about his mom and his history. There was an episode about the drug trade. There was an episode about the failures of the social safety net, and then there was an episode about the crime when the suspects and whether or not it was solvable. Like to me, it felt very, very tight. Like if there were. If this was a series in a newspaper, this was the right way to package the series. You know, my quibbles about it, like I said, are some of the Siglork glossing over misinformation about ADHD. But there was another aspect to it that we didn't talk about in our conversation that I thought was fascinating. I know they've been working on this for a long time, but some of the reporting had some real-time elements to it, like CJ's mom reacting to what she heard in a prior episode and kind of advancing the story. So, yeah, I'm giving a really enthusiastic big thumbs up for who killed C.J. Davis, I think it's definitely worth a listen. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Moving on. Kevin, it's time for some business. Do you think it's What's time business? for some business? Yeah, sure. It's business. Business time. <laughs> uh, coming up on our Patreon this week at patreon.com slash partners in crime media on the Crime Writers on After Show. That's out right now. We're going to be talking about Laura's recent deliverance adventure. Both she and Toby also have some wildlife stories to tell us. And we're going to be running down some of our more recent TV and book recommendations. That's right now on the Crime Writers on After Show. Also on our Patreon, you can get Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. They review Bad Blood with Amber Hunt, the host of Accused, Dr. Scott, and Nanita Cranford, one of our favorite listeners who now has two adorable dogs and I've been watching their videos all day. We also have a brand new episode of Married with Podcast out in which a listener wants to know if she should bother marrying her live-in boyfriend at this point. You ready to defend your positions, everybody? Let's play the feud, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) So you can get all of the extra podcasts that we make, there's three of them available for you right now at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Kevin, before we move on, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Yes, our Patreon patron saints are Claire Panzers and Kim Exty. 
And Kim was the one who recommended uh, who killed C.J. Davis. Wait a minute. We just reviewed a whole podcast that a listener told us to? <laughs> hey, that's how we get a lot of our recommendations. Jeez. No, we that's really how, do. That's how we did uh, Fake Priest. No, honestly, we get a ton of our podcast recommendations and TV recommendations from listeners. You can write to us if you want. CrimeWritersOn at gmail.com. Give us some recommendations there. Or you can do it in our Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group. Yeah. Just don't send us your birthdays. Yes. That's bullshit, Allison. <laughs> and Mark from... Uxbury, Massachusetts. <laughs> Fucking bullshit. Goddamn birthday. Uh, but you know what the best way to get a recommendation to us is? What? Join our Patreon. We'll totally oh, yeah. listen to you if you're our Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com we'll slash We'll give you a polite refusal. <laughs> <laughs> we won't just ghost you. We won't be like, you have shitty taste. We're not reviewing that garbage. <laughs> Sorry we're not doing Drag Race this year. <laughs> not no, crime. we're not doing morbid. We, we, keep, we keep getting recommendations like the same podcast over and over again. <laughs> and I'm like, if I have to listen to 37 million hours of audio in order to review this, this point, it's not going to happen. <laughs> anyway, well, that includes our business, right, Kevin? I believe so. All right. So how about we move on and review another podcast? This is the story of a charismatic multimillionaire businessman who got his start in real estate. He owes his fame to television. He's sensitive about his hair. And then, one day, he decides to run for office. Silvio Berlusconi was a gregarious musician, Italian real estate developer, and media magnate. When authorities began closing in on his dirty deals, Berlusconi picked the only way he thought he could avoid prosecution— Run for prime minister. Berlusconi then offered an alternative to that, which is forget about all this political stuff. Forget about ideology. How about having a good time? Here's a beautiful woman. Don't you want to sleep with her? In the number one podcast from Wondery, Bunga Bunga, comedian Whitney Cummings discusses Berlusconi's rise from party-loving businessman to party-loving world leader and the Italian prime minister's sex parties, which led to charges of extortion and, by Italian law, a charge of child prostitution. When I wake up, I'm in a huge courtyard of a house, a huge villa. Like, I see it's nighttime, but I can see it's like a huge villa with lights. And I'm like, where, where are we? I'm sure you have a guess. The latest in the get a load of this guy genre, Cummings tries Trademark to balance Toby Ball. Bunga Bunga as a political cautionary tale with the right amount of what in the actual fuck. Now, we are going to be giving spoilers for Bunga Bunga, and we might be doing some swearing, too. <laughs> so if you want to remain <laughs> spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Now, Laura Bricker, Whitney Cummings is a comedian. And I think that we know uh, with many of these Wondery podcasts that the person narrating it for us is not the actual reporter. We've discussed this before on the podcast. It seems as though the tape has been gathered and then someone voices the narration. But this on its face, it's not even pretending like a reporter is narrating it Mm -hmm. for us. It's a comedian. What do you think about that choice? So I struggled with this. Really, this whole podcast, I went back and forth. Do I love this? Do I hate this? Because it's like so over the top, like just the level of taking it up a notch and so outrageous in the delivery. But then there's times where there'll be like this what the fuck reaction. And I'm like, oh, that's what I would be saying in my head right now, too. So I almost wonder, because this story, like everything that Berlusconi did is just so out there, like 
does it need this type of storytelling? But does that like then minimize the seriousness of the things he did by making it into like this sort of humorous approach to the story? So I don't know. I'm still sort of undecided because it was so different than anything else we've listened to in terms of how a story like this is told. Toby, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think I feel I feel a little more strongly than Laura about it. I found it distracting. And, you know, I guess it's an approach, but is Silvio Berlusconi really that amusing? I guess that was sort of what I, I had a hard time. Like, he, he's not a good guy mm. and he's got a lot of power and he's done a lot of bad things. So I guess it's an approach that you could take towards it. And I think there's there are moments, I think like Laura was saying, where maybe it's appropriate, where it's like, really? What the fuck? But just to have it going on for the entire time, and sometimes it seems like it's a little over the top with how irreverent and amusing uh, the tone is, that I thought I would get used to it, and I just never did. It was just constantly like fingernails on a blackboard. Kevin, what are your thoughts about the the choice of a comedian to narrate this history podcast? Well, I do like Whitney Cummings. I mean, I think she's a very savvy comedian. Uh, in this vehicle, time she's a bit extra. He tells the police to let her go. So they do. The end. Thanks for joining us, everyone. From Wondery, I'm Whitney Cummings, and this is... <laughs> Yeah, right. Like, that's the end. That is not the end. It's a bold casting choice, though. I and mean, I think that they're trying to say, okay, this is what the tone of it's going to be. It wasn't sort of like, uh, just pick some random person. Oh, well, Drew Carey wasn't available, so we got Whitney Cummings, you know, or, or wasn't like, Jeff Greenfield wasn't available, so let's go with Whitney Cummings. It's a deliberate choice. It's bold. We never had a real, you know, recall a comedian taking the helm of a podcast like this. And there were times where, you know, it was good times like, oh, come on. You know, we don't don't need to be so thirsty. I have a question. Yeah. This more so, I mean, I say this about every Wondery podcast, but more so than any other Wondery podcast we've listened to. This sounded like the soundtrack to a documentary for me. And I felt like I kept getting reminded of Drunk History a little bit because Whitney Cummings was at the helm and that's a, you know, history show helmed by drunk comedians. Right. Not that she was drunk in this one, obviously. But couldn't you imagine a TV documentary sort of being voiced by Whitney Cummings as sort of like, you know, sort of like a light look, but didn't the tape Well, the in third this... time she used the word frickin'. Right, but then she thought... but then she also dropped the F-bomb like a whole oh, bunch. Yeah, there was no it. reason to use the word frickin', right? Yeah. Oh. All right, well, I, I think that the second question here is what Laura brought up and Toby also touched on is that Berlusconi was a bad guy. He wasn't just a funny guy who did quirky things. He was a bad guy who did a lot of damage to the Italian democracy, uh, eroded the rights of its citizens in many ways, and really messed with their political system in ways that hurt people, their economy. This is not good. <laughs> and and the podcast is sort of taking this as the get a load of this guy genre. So taking Whitney Cummings out of it, is Berlusconi, Kevin, an appropriate subject to treat in the take get a load of this guy genre in the same way that fake priest well, is, is treated that way? Yeah, because he's a get a lo- he really is a get a load of this guy. Yeah. He's so, you, you can't say unique, I guess, but... Uh, he is. And uh, what they do is they don't sort of do the thing where they make it very obvious. And they go, ah, he's a womanizing real estate and media billionaire with a long-suffering wife and a friend of Putin who's cagey about his money, got involved in shady deals, and then ensorcelled in a nation to overlook his criminality and moral flaws as he became head of state. Who does that sound like, everybody? Sylvia Berlusconi. Berlusconi. Right. It was uh-huh. it didn't have to, like, Can we talk about the Putin bed? He had the Putin bed? What the hell? A five-person Putin bed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
with rubber sheets. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. One thing that I didn't think was really interesting, Toby, was his, you know, taking the Whitney Cummings out of it and the style out of it. It is, you know, a pretty TikTok-y historical account of his rise to power and his rise to fortune. And, you know, there's a little bit in there about how TV was basically all state-owned, but there were these, you know, little unregulated private stations. The way he built his TV network was to buy a bunch of independent stations and then have couriers basically motorcycle videotapes to each station to play the same programming over and over again. And then the show that really like got the country enwrapped and started changing the way they sort of viewed, I don't know, the world was Dallas. Tell me, JR, which slut are you going to stay with tonight? What difference does it make? Whoever it is, it got to be more interesting than the slut I'm looking at right now. What did you think of that, Toby? <laughs> that, that the whole thing about the TV is is pretty interesting. I think uh, they, they talk about how Italy, like one of the state television stations, played a couple of episodes and just thought it was like way too much. Like it was just dealing with stuff they didn't want to deal with. Like I, I can't even remember, but I'm sure it has to do with promiscuity, and, adultery, you know, adultery, and all this BS. But then he uses it, and then he has all these other, like, crass TV shows that feature a lot of nudity and, I guess, basically just breasts. That seems to be the (laughs) major theme. And then later, they don't really connect this. But they talk about how he's super popular when he's when he goes up for election with like the older ladies. Yeah. Like it's sort of counterintuitive. And especially in a country like Italy, which I think stereotypically is considered to be fairly socially conservative. But at the same time, TV is just like Cinemax in the 80s or something. I mean, it, it seems really nuts. So I guess that was kind of, I guess, his genius or his insight or whatever is that people just want to see crass shit. Like Mm. they don't want to watch three-hour operas or the Italian parliament doings. They want to see Dallas and they want to see, you know, variety shows with a lot of women and with big breasts bouncing around. And then when there's news, I'm going to have guys who like basically pump me up. Yeah. So I say that I find the tone of it frustrating. There's a lot of interesting stuff in this story. Yeah. Like 100%. It's very entertaining if you kind of can deal with the tone. You know, there is something about Berlusconi's TV stations and the media on them that reminds me a lot of this podcast. Here's a little clip to show you what I mean. Big-breasted women ride rocking horses. Naked women wrestle. Pies get thrown by, you guessed it, women with giant tits. Are you noticing a theme here? Just like our podcast, right? (laughs) (laughs) I think about that all the time. Laura, what did you think of the descriptions of what was on the Berlusconi television networks? Well, I mean, we start with Dallas and Dynasty. And the next thing you know, we're at like soft porn with the like they can't even have the news without somebody like half dressed crawling off across the floor after a garlic that looks like a big penis. Like what the hell? (laughs) Yeah, Why does it have to be garlic? That was weird. (laughs) It's like a vampire soft porn. I don't know. It, but it was interesting. She I rubbed down it. in olive oil and onions <laughs> later. And it was sauteed. Sauteed. The Holy Trinity. Medium heat. 
It was really interesting. And I liked the description of the person. I can't remember if it was her. I think it was one of the people they were interviewing who was like turned on the TV and and was like, whoa, this is like when you're in the hotel and it's like you've gotten into the wrong stations. Yes. I don't know what she's talking about. Like when we went to Mexico that time, I don't know what she's talking about. (laughs) It was like Channel 22 in the resort. Oh, yeah. Whoa. It's like, wow. But I think it's like a bigger, like past like how like I'm like laughing about it. But then I'm thinking like, I think this is just sort of indicative of like this overall like sexist sort of societal issue that's going on on in Italy that's really I mean if this is being allowed to go on to the level that it's going on there's a reason you know yeah well the patriarchy is alive and well in Italy as we hear Kevin one of the things that was very interesting to me as somebody who as we'll discuss in the after show has recently become very interested in the parliamentary form of democracy yeah and how it works in some countries yes listen to the Patreon after show you'll understand the context for that was Berlusconi's tactic of just loading up his party with candidates who all the men had to be handsome and abide by a dress code. And then all the women were like models and weather girls from his TV station, like no political qualifications. He just wanted like good looking, vapid people to stack Parliament, not to stack like his hotel. Well, you have to fill staff. out your party. You got to put somebody. But, but I mean, that's they, part they, of the. They ended up being elected officials yeah. in Italy. Yes, it's crazy. <laughs> I know. Would you have voted for you know if you went into the polls and you voted for your party? Would you have been satisfied if a bunch of good-looking but vapid people just ended up being elected to I don't know Parliament? I don't know how big are the tits on my uh, member of Parliament? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's very weird, of course, and sexist. You know, I remember like when we were listening to Verified, which was the podcast about you know the tourists would come to Italy and yes. they you know, right they were getting raped by that guy who pretended to be a cop. Yeah, you know, and the way he kind of spoke and was sort of, and I hear this from Berlusconi too, where he seems so reverential of women by saying all like how beautiful they are, and it's like this thing where they are like so chauvinistic in their attitudes that they're trying to be charming by putting women down they they hold women up they're just taking women and, and, and putting them on a pedestal but all they're really doing is is objectifying them yes and they're not putting them on a pedestal they're just objectifying them oh they think they are i come no they, 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 they give it all i completely mwah. disagree with you i completely disagree with you well think about everything that sylvia Pedroli from npr quoted which was shocking as to me saying, that she was in this podcast women are god's most beautiful gift to men In order to prevent rape, we would need as many soldiers as there are beautiful Italian women. He boasted of the good looks of his party's young female MPs, dismissing the women in the opposition ranks as menopausal. See, like, in his, like, fucked up mind, he's, like, saying, we have the most beautiful women in the world. And he doesn't realize, like, no, you're, like, actually talking about rape and just... I think he realizes it. you think I completely disagree okay. with you. This whole idea that the objectification of women is in some way, even in someone's mind, putting them up, I completely okay, yeah, disagree. Yeah, all right, fine. Yeah, yeah. I completely, I think people who objectify women know they're objectifying women. Uh, you call it cultural, whatever. They know. That's what pay the patriarchy is. The New Yorker had a thing about Berlusconi like years ago, and I'm probably going to get this slightly wrong, but I, I, one of his wives, I, it may even be the current one, he was at a show with some of his buddies, and and I don't know exactly what the show was, but she appeared 
topless. And apparently Berlusconi told his friend, he's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to marry her and went down after the show and introduced himself. That was the thing. He's like, oh. That's how I met Rebecca. I'm going to, but she belongs to me. But that, that's ownership. That's not love. That's possession. Yeah. It's gross. Did you hear what he called Angela Merkel? What? He called her an unfuckable pig. Oh my uh, God. Yeah, uh, it's uh. so classy. He's definitely yeah. putting women on a pedestal when he calls them beautiful, though. Yeah, see, like, but that says a lot about his worldview about what's important about a woman, right? No, he surrounds himself with models. And yeah. then if there's a, like a really smart, powerful woman who's not a model, his reaction to her is, I wouldn't want to have sex with her. And therefore, uh, that's, that's the end of that. There's a difference between being a great lover of women and being an exploiter of women. Um, it's a fine line. I think being yeah. even someone who would call themselves a great lover of women is also an exploiter. Okay, so I'm sorry. I have unfocused words to <laughs> express my opinions. We'll have a talk later, Kevin. We'll have yeah. a talk. We're getting very Hugh Hefner around here suddenly. I'm not defending any of the, the, the Italian patriarchy. I just feel like in their minds, they don't see anything wrong with it because if they did, they'd understand the shit coming out of their mouth. Yeah. Doesn't make it okay. So, Laura Bricker, Ilda the Red. We do hear about one very strong woman in this podcast who is trying to take down judges and disrupt the corrupt political system. What did you think of her tactics? Putting bugs in the ashtrays of bars, following people around. What did you think of all that? I thought she was pretty badass and I loved her. Um, And also I loved her name. Like her name just sounded like a character in like Game of Thrones or something. You know, I was like the prosecutor who's going to go to all lanes. But I feel like it takes a special type of prosecutor to be able to go up against somebody like this who's so slippery and so corrupt and making laws to get his friends and accomplices out of jail and and himself even getting elected so he's not able to be prosecuted. I mean, it's it's crazy. So that was a really interesting episode with her. And, you know, that led off with that really kind of bizarre story about the murder that was the result of the room with the two-way mirrors. Yes. Which the couple oh, yeah, where the yeah. guy was the cuck, as they say on the internet, and his wife, like, like to watch his wife having sex with other men. Mm-hmm. And then he murdered her and killed himself. And then the poor daughter got scammed out of their house and their art collection by her own lawyer. Yeah. Because she stole the Sylvia. It was crazy. Berlusconi stole that family's legacy. He stole that girl's legacy. I don't care that her parents were freaky. That he stole her legacy. He stole it. Not okay. And I liked how it was still retold on their super, even cheesier version of Dateline that they have in Italy. (laughs) (laughs) There were a lot of media clips in this podcast. (laughs) Now, I do hear, Kevin, that we are going to be getting um, something from Amber Gutierrez in upcoming episodes. You know, Amber Gutierrez was the Harvey Weinstein accuser that taped Harvey Weinstein. Yes, you recognize her. Okay. I I was walking around the kitchen going, why do I know her name? (laughs) Yes. Uh, We hear she's going to be talking on an next episode about the Bunga Bunga parties. Yep. Do you think this podcast is going to take a more somber turn when we sort of get to that part of the Berlusconi story? Because there is I, a sex trafficking component yeah, here. I would hope so. Yeah. I mean, we sort of get a tease at the end of the most previous episode that we've listened to. And, you know, part of the reason it's called Bunga Bunga, despite the origins of that term, has to do with the WTF aspects of the whole story. But while I think there's going to be some more, like, you will not believe the level of decadence at this Caligula-like orgy uh, with a bunch of old men and beautiful young women, I would hope 
that it doesn't play at all for laughs. Yeah. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out Bunga Bunga, the new podcast from Wondery that gives a true crime-esque, quasi-historical and quasi-comedic look at Silvia Berlusconi, a very powerful figure in industry and politics in Italy. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Bunga Bunga? I'm going to go thumbs up with this. I I mean, I have some issues with the storytelling in terms of the comedic approach, but at the same time, I can't stop listening to it. And so I kind of can appreciate the host's reaction to a lot of the things that happen. I'm hoping that as this goes on, there is a little bit more levity to the story as we get into sort of some more serious crimes against the women. And there's going to be some more information about that. But overall, I would listen to this just to hear the sheer number of insane things things that happened under this guy's watch. And I mean, it's like you can't make this stuff up. So Hmm. just on that, I would say, listen to it. Toy Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Bunga Bunga from Wondery? Yeah, you know, I think on balance, I'd give it a thumbs up. The story is really, it's crazy and it's interesting. I just don't know if it's zany, which is, I think, what they're going for in this. So I think there's enough going on that it's worth listening to, but I've never been quite as turned off by the tone of a podcast that I otherwise like. That That's not usually like a huge issue for me, but in this case it was. Kevin Flynn, what about you? Well, I like Bunga Bunga. I'm probably going to go thumbs up. Not a big thumbs up because of the questions that you know we sort of had about it. I think the ultimate question, though, is what do we think about Berlusconi? And what he is- sucks. Well, what does his life say about politics? It sucks. Well, I think, but I think both those questions are like that if you are shameless and untroubled by the normal societal guardrails, then you can't be motivated by shame and do the right thing. And it may be reductive to say, oh, he's an egomaniac or a narcissist. I just think it's his vanity. I just think he's vain. And if that's the case in Italian politics, then why can't that be the case in American politics? Hmm. And some might say that it does. I like Bunga Bunga. There's way more mashed potatoes than steak on this plate, but it doesn't ruin the meal. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of a, a moderate thumbs up as well. First of all, I do like anything that is packaged in a way to get people to learn about the world and history. So in that respect, this is a good idea to take a historical story like through a quasi-journalistic lens and package it in a way that is consumable by people who might not otherwise seek out this kind of story. It is a bit of a gimmick to have a celebrity comedian voice this podcast and I'm very curious as to whether or not this is the turn Wondery is going to be taking with some of these shows. I have long suspected that these shows are produced and then voiced by a narrator who just kind of comes in at the last minute and voices it. That's just how they sound to me and this is for me kind of proof that that's their production model. So I'm curious as to whether or not this production company as they become more and more successful that we will see more celebrity helmed story podcasts like this and this would be just the first of it. So just because it's an experiment there too, is it's interesting enough for me to sort of say it's worth people for listening to. But you made the mashed potatoes analogy there. And yeah. I just kept thinking about something else, probably because we were listening to this Italian podcast and everybody's speaking with these Italian accents. And, you know, I'm Italian and my grandmother actually kind of spoke this way. And it, it always makes me think of Italian food. And you know how like, you know, you get like a really great plate of like rigatoni or ravioli and it's like really satisfying and bolognese. Yeah. And then 
there's like angel hair, which is just sort of that pasta that's also pasta, <laughs> but just like not super satisfying. Yeah. It's not light because it's still pasta, but it doesn't have that sort of like bite of like real pasta with any width. It's just like angel hair. Yeah. I just kept listening to this and I was like, this is eating like eating angel hair. It's like meh. It's like pasta, but it's like meh. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm like, I guess a angel hair level thumbs up for Bongo Bongo. <laughs> Whatever the hell that means. <laughs> okay. Listen, people who feel the same way I do about angel hair will understand. It's a gimmicky kind of pasta that's no good. The calories not, are the same. It's not satisfying at all. It doesn't have the satisfaction even though you're eating the same amount. Right, Laura? No, right. Like I had some big pasta tonight. I made like this like mac and cheese with that like squiggly macaroni noodle stuff and I'm like... Yep. It was satisfying. <laughs> I stuck some cauliflower in there to like make it seem healthy. But other than that, it was very satisfying. No one's Not- making that mac and cheese with angel hair. Let's put it that way. No, right. exactly. <laughs> right. Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you, Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. All right, now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. For a year and a half, residents in a tiny village in Wales complained that their broadband internet would cut out every morning at exactly 7 a.m. Engineers conducted all kinds of tests but couldn't locate the glitch. They even laid new cables into the Welsh community at great expense, but that didn't help. That's when the team discovered that the signal was being interrupted by a very old television. At seven every morning, an elderly owner would flip on his telly, which emitted frequencies that interfered with the village's internet. The it gave ho- him cancer, probably. The homeowner was reportedly <laughs> mortified and promised never to use that TV again, despite the large amount of money in the internet provider had spent. It seemed like the problem could have been solved if everyone just chipped in for a flat screen and a subscription to Dish Network. Mm. Now, panel, you can't come between a pensioner and their programs on their very old TV. What do you think this viewer was turning into every morning at 7 a.m.? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Well, I'm thinking of like cozy TV and the shows that are on there. And I'm going to have to go with Baywatch. Didn't see that coming. (laughs) What do you think, Toby Ball? What was this pensioner turning into at 7 a.m.? Was he turning into something or was he tuning into something? (laughs) Tuning into something. Um, I don't know, man. The times when I'm up at 7 o'clock watching TV were back in the days when my kids were young. So because it was happening in the British Isles. I'm going to have to say Teletubbies. Oh. Ah. oh. Kevin, can you show your Teletubbies impression? <laughs> no, I can't. Sorry. <laughs> Tinky Winky. <laughs> Poe. <laughs> la la. <laughs> Kevin, what do you think this pensioner was tuning into at 7 a.m.? Uh, at 7 a.m., uh, she was probably tuning into the 6 a.m. news. Oh, okay. So this is Wales, right? Yeah. I got to go with anything starring Matthew Reese. Anything. Uh. <laughs> 
All right, we should probably end it on that note. But before we do, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Oh, yes, we do. This week, Anna Breck submitted the cows in her neighborhood oh, for ooh. cat cows, of the week. It's a first. <laughs> cows of the week. First, the first Anna's, on the show. It's so yep. moving. There is a whole series of photos of the cows, and she says, I don't know their names because they are not my cows. They broke out last night and went on a garden sampling spree around town and ended in our paddock. Pictures of garden devastation included. Editing to add, this is not the first time this has happened. They are escape artist cows who love to wander. And somebody said, what is their motive for escaping? Nice. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Laura Bricker, if folks want to send you their suggestions, cows, calves, goats, deer, dogs, to be cat of the week. Emus. Emus. That's a bird, right? Well, I just actually, I'm going to give a plug to my Exeter Life podcast. I just did a story about a llama today. Nice. A limbo llama. How can they find you on Twitter to send those pitches, Laura? It's at Laura Bricker. Of course, you can also send those pitches to our Facebook group. Let's look forward on Facebook, the Crime Writers on Podcast Discussion Group. Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you on Twitter. How can they find you? At Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to tweet to you and tell you, you're sounding more and more like your old Kevin Flynn self Oh, I don't week. feel like it tonight. Uh, I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. You can watch this very podcast and our new show produced exclusively for Facebook Watch. Find it by searching your app or at facebook.com slash watch slash Crime Writers On podcast. I encourage you to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. You can also go to our regular old Facebook page if you want. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you will get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast, and Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast. Our theme song was performed by the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. Our line editor is the handsome Henry Lavoie, assisted by Olivia Burdett. Our social media maven is fellow Taco Bell stand Meredith Plunkett. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in a New Hampshire basement that people describe like this. Naked women wrestle. Pies get thrown by, you guessed it, women with giant tits. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. It all evens out because it's all dynamically inserted. Got it, so. got it, got it. Dynamically inserted. Dynamic insertion. That's what she ah, said. That's better than digital insertion, right? Ah. These call it, there's some digit. used to do digital insertion. Oh, God. This sounds like artificial insemination right now. Yeah. All right. Partners in Crime Media. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.